You are listening to episode 43 of the Body You Crave podcast, the one where we talk about what to do when you realize that food has become a rapid and reliable source of pleasure, joy, and comfort. I'm master at life and weight loss coach Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. Hey, hey, welcome back. All right, so before we dive into today's topic, I want to talk about a free workshop that I'm hosting next Thursday April 21st at 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. So it's called Three Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating and Lose Weight Eating the Foods You Love. This is all about how we can learn how to eat healthy without feeling deprived or needing willpower. So how do we lose the weight and be able to maintain it while still enjoying the foods we love without feeling like we're sabotaging our progress or we're just going to blow it or screw it? Why keep going? I've already blown my diet now. We're going to talk about why habit change feels really hard for a lot of people and the number one step to make new habits stick like glue effortlessly. You'll learn how to break the emotional eating cycle and confidently handle any emotion without needing food or wine. And then the number one step to creating a life that you don't need an escape from at the end of the week. So this all ties into what we're going to be talking about here today. But if you would like to get all the details or to sign up, visit www bodyyoucrave.com forward slash April dash workshop. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. There are two times to join me live on Thursday. So 1 p.m. Eastern or 8 p.m. Eastern. All the details though will be on the webpage. And again, if you're already on my email list, know that you'll be getting an email about this as well with a very easy link to sign up. This is all about how we can really start to understand our emotional eating habit in a very simple way. And that ties into today's topic, which is when food solves a problem. (laughs) So it's really easy to get caught up in the shame, guilt, and regret of overeating, emotional eating, over drinking. And we try to tell ourselves all the reasons why it's bad and we should stop doing it. If you are overeating, that is emotional eating. If we are eating when we're not hungry, we are emotionally eating. If we are over-consuming, we are emotional eating. There might be positive emotions that we're eating about, but it's one and the same in my mind. Overeating is a sign that you are emotionally eating. And we just want to get aware of this because again, when we have that awareness and we know what the problem is, we can now solve for the right problem. So often, we keep trying to solve for food or solve for how do I just not overeat? And we look at the actions instead of really looking at what is going on underneath the surface. So a lot of times when we talk about this, it's around, I really need to stop overeating at lunch. I really need to stop snacking in the afternoon. I really should stop doing this. We get focused on all of the bad things that's happening, how we feel overfull and bloated and sluggish and tired and maybe want to nap. All the negative reasons as to why this is a bad thing, why we need to stop doing it. And I see this a lot around smoking as well. People shaming themselves out loud in front of others that they're going to go have this nasty cigarette that's terrible for their health and they really need to quit before they kill themselves, right? It's very shameful language. Look, this line of thinking doesn't work. The constant shame and self-loathing isn't helping you solve the problem. Otherwise, you would have done that already. Otherwise, you would have already quit smoking. Otherwise, you would have already stopped overeating and emotionally eating. 
Another approach that people often take is saying that they can never, ever have it again, right? They can't trust themselves around food. They can't trust themselves around sugar or to only eat two cookies. They can't trust themselves around alcohol or to only have two glasses of wine. So they have to swear it off altogether. I see this a lot when I talk with people about alcohol consumption. I see this a lot when we talk about sugar. And episode 36 actually addresses why you're not addicted to sugar. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you go back and check that out because I talk very specifically about sugar. But anytime someone's in the habit of drinking what they perceive to be too much, their first thought is often going to go to, well, maybe I'm an alcoholic and I need to stop drinking 100% cold turkey. I've talked with many women about this, and it's been women in particular who have come and shared this concern of, I think I'm an alcoholic. I've tried these different rehab programs. I've tried these outpatient things. I've gone to AA meetings. I just need to stop drinking. It's this all or nothing approach. And so often I think their thought is because I'm drinking too much, I must be addicted. Or because I look forward to the wine at the end of the night, or because I look forward to drinking, I must be addicted. And that's not the case. There's a very big difference between alcohol addiction and alcohol dependence. It's important that we understand the two because we're going to solve for the two in very different ways. Again, understanding the problem so we can solve for it appropriately. Alcohol addiction is when you cannot function in your day without having alcohol. You wake up in the morning and to get your day started, you need a drink. You're going through your day and maybe you can go an hour or two, but then by mid-morning, you need a drink. Alcohol dependence is more of what I see as an emotional relationship and you're using alcohol as a coping mechanism. It's a way to help you feel better. It's a way to help you escape from the stressors of life. It's a way to help you escape from everything that's going on around you, the stress, overwhelm, chaos, disappointment in your life, in yourself, in your spouse, in your kids, all the things. All of the women that I've talked to who thought that maybe they were addicted to alcohol actually just had an alcohol dependence. They just needed to understand why they were reaching for the alcohol to begin with, why they were self-soothing with it. With an alcohol dependence, it's a coping mechanism. You're simply in the habit that alcohol solves a problem. But when all you know how to do is find comfort and relief and relaxation in alcohol, but now you're going to tell yourself, well, never can I ever drink that again. It feels like punishment and it's going to be hard to stick with because you're taking away the only coping mechanism you know. Of course, your brain is going to freak out and be like, WTF, what are you doing? You might feel angry, deprived, or rebellious. This can trigger the fight mode of your habit brain. And don't worry, we're going to talk about food and how this relates because it's the same exact habit with food as with alcohol when it's a dependence. It's the same thing with sugar. I might be relying on sugar to meet these emotional needs. It's not that I'm addicted to it. It's that I am using it as a coping mechanism. I'm using it to feel better about my life. And sometimes we do that with food as a whole. So what happens when we typically take that away? When we tell ourselves, well, I can never eat sweets again. I can never eat bread again. I shouldn't be eating those bad foods. I just need to stop overeating. So I'm just gonna stop eating those foods. or I'm gonna stop drinking because I just can't trust myself around the wine. And this often will trigger that fight mode of your habit brain because you think there's no other option. It is literally abstain or die trying. Just say no forever and ever. Amen. It's the whole fight, flight, freeze, or appease of our brains just trying to keep you safe. And right now, it's going to go into fight mode or what I call tantrum mode because there's this tug of war around what's being taken away. Because we're looking at, I don't get this. It's not just, I don't get the alcohol or I don't get the sugar or I don't get the food that I really enjoy. There's the deeper meaning as to what that means for you, because it's not just taking away the substance. It's taking away how to relax at the end of the night. 
It's taking away how to enjoy meeting new people. It's taking away how to have more fun at a party or an event. It's taking away how to make a boring situation or task more exciting. It's taking away how you celebrate at the end of the week or the month or celebrate these bigger life milestones, birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. So that's what we want to start to understand because it's never just about the food. Food is not the problem. Alcohol is not the problem. We have to look internally. How am I creating this? What am I looking for this food or alcohol to do for me? So this all falls under the umbrella of emotional eating. And you could also say emotional drinking. Your brain has simply learned that food or alcohol creates a rapid, reliable, and effective sense of relief. It's quick, it's effective, and it's very reliable. And that's it. One of the big issues that I'm going to be addressing in the workshop is that most of us don't know how to change habits. We only focus on the action of habits. Well, I just have to do this. I just have to find more ways to take this action. But what we really have to do is recognize that any kind of habit change is not just about focusing on the action. It's about understanding what are the thoughts and the emotions driving that action or inaction. And we have to be really honest that when it comes to food solving a problem or alcohol solving a problem, that's what it's doing for us. We need to stop being so shameful and look at what is the benefit here. Because if there wasn't a benefit to me emotionally eating every day, I wouldn't have been doing it. It solved a problem for me. We have to understand why we keep reaching for a snack when we're not truly hungry. Why do we keep overeating at dinner every night? Why do we keep pouring another glass of wine when we said that we would stop at two? Food solves a problem. What problem is it solving for you? Is it helping you relax and unwind at the end of the night, at the end of the week? Is it justification or permission to take a break? Is it your favorite way of procrastinating? Is it making doing other tasks less sucky? Is it calming you down when you feel anxious or giving you comfort at the end of the night? If you want to solve for emotional eating, you first need to identify how food is actually helping you to feel better. Because as humans, that's all we're ever after. That's all we want. We just want to feel good. And the marketing around us shows that. Our brains are wired to seek pleasure and avoid pain via the path of least resistance. Food, alcohol, very easy paths to create that rapid, reliable, effective sense of relief. Very easy way to get into pleasure and to avoid that pain. Pain being real or perceived, mental, physical, or emotional. And that's what we're getting sold in this world around us. Like here, buy this house. You'll feel better about yourself. Buy this car. You're going to feel so fancy and bougie. Eat these foods. Go to these restaurants. Have your nails done. Go here. Go there. Join this service. Lose the weight. We're always being sold things to make us feel better about ourselves. Like how can we feel good in an easy way? We need to identify how it's helping you. And just because it's helping you doesn't mean that you're not going to want to change it. I think sometimes we have this fear and we don't want to recognize that it solves a problem, that it serves a purpose, that there is a benefit, especially when there's a lot of shame and self-loathing around it. Of course, I can't talk about the benefits of my drinking. I have to focus on all the negative ways and how this is so bad and why it needs to change and why it needs to stop. And I just need to suck it up and do it. And I just need more willpower. No, we need to understand the benefits that it's bringing to your life so that we can now start to solve for that instead. We can ask the question, why am I doing that? From a place of curiosity and compassion and self-love, like what's really going on here? Or we could ask, why are you doing that? I can't believe you did that again. Haven't you learned your lesson? You should know better by now. We can be all up in our faces, very judgy, very shameful. And that's not helpful. That's not going to get you anywhere. I say all of this 
with a lot of love and a lot of compassion because I was there too. I noticed my emotional eating habit in 2017, and actually I could trace it back to early 2016. It was about two years until I realized, oh my gosh, I've been emotionally eating. At the time in early 2016, I started to notice that habit. And the health coach that I was working with at the time, she was doing the best that she could. But her program just was not helpful. It did not help me. In fact, I think it made things worse, which is why I am so hellbent on getting out there and helping share the good news of my gospel around emotional eating and how it can help you by understanding what's really going on. Because for me, I thought that in order to solve emotional eating, I just needed to change my circumstances. In 2016, my husband was deployed, and I noticed I kept reaching for food when I wasn't hungry. I kept overeating. I kept snacking. I kept eating the, quote, bad foods and what I shouldn't be. And I kept thinking, he just needs to come back from deployment. There's nothing that I can do about this until he comes home. But even then, when he came back, I was still emotionally eating. Now just for different emotions. (laughs) I just had forgotten that's what it was, and that's what was going on. We want to start to understand the situation. That way we can understand our thoughts and feelings in that situation. So it started in 2016, but I didn't really notice it and connect the dots until late 2017, early 2018. But I would grab a snack when I got a task that I didn't want to do at work because it dulled the thoughts that I didn't like my job and I wasn't really living into all of my gifts and strengths and talents. I kept thinking that the job was the problem. So let me switch jobs. Let me find a different job so that I'm doing different things. But then I would still have the same problem. I would get a different job. And then again, it would be like, oh, I'm still not living into my purpose. I'm still not using my gifts and strengths and talents. So I'd get a different job. Oh, but there's still this gnawing desire. Let me work in my business full time. So then I went full time in my business. And nope, still emotionally eating, still snacking. Maybe not overeating as much, but definitely still procrastinating snacking. (laughs) Why? Because I was not changing the thoughts. I kept thinking I just needed to change the situation around me. And that gets exhausting. That's what has you jumping from job to job, from spouse to spouse, jumping from all these things, thinking this will make me happy. This will solve the problem. And it never will. I noticed that I would overeat at lunch, in part because I wasn't fueling my body properly for the exercise that I was doing. And I was deathly afraid of carbs. So there was some mind drama around the diet and exercise routine that I was following that was creating my emotional eating, as well as trying to escape this question of what am I doing with my life? Again, the shame, the judgment, I should be further along. I should be making more money. I should be doing better. Comparing myself to other people. I remember in early 2017 seeing a friend or she's not really a friend. (laughs) It's someone that I follow online. She's in the business space and she's a year older than I am and she was making a million dollars. And I was like, oh my gosh, Jillian, what are you doing with your life? You could be making a million dollars and you're not. You suck. That's exactly where my brain was going was like, oh, look at her over here. I was throwing back all the shots of compare schlager like just downing them one after another. And it was always in a way that was not productive and how I didn't measure up. It's very easy to look around at other people and to start judging ourselves for that. But that's why we need life coaching. It's not just about the food. We have to understand what are our thoughts about our lives as a whole. Because even when we're in the jobs that we, we want to be doing or that we love or that we enjoy, there can still be things that come up. There are still thoughts about our lives and all these different areas about our bodies about our kids and how well they behave in public, about our spouse and how nice or loving they are to us, or about money or about all the things. We have to start to identify and see where are we emotionally eating. 
I would emotionally eat to extend my break just a little bit longer before I had to get back to work. And it justified my break because I really wanted to be productive. I really wanted to stick with my time-blocked calendar. I really wanted to feel good about myself at the end of the day with how well I stuck to my calendar and how many to-dos I got checked off. That for me was like, now I'm good enough. Now I'm earning my keep, if you will. It dulled thoughts about, I should be further along by now. All the shoulds. This shouldn't be happening. I should be doing this. It was all the times that I wanted to argue with reality and argue against myself. And many days I noticed, as I look back, there were a lot of days where food was the primary source of enjoyment and pleasure and relaxation. And I would tell myself that, oh, this helps me relax. Oh, I just enjoy this. And it was because I wasn't focused on creating a life that I really loved. When you feel like you're failing in certain areas or you feel like you're not good enough or you're not living up to certain expectations, and those expectations might just be your own, but when you feel like you're not living to the place that you want to be and it feels really sucky and you just keep trying to push it down and shove it away and hide it, of course our brain is going to be like, oh yeah, that sucks. Let's avoid that and let's go over here and let's have some ice cream because that'll make you feel good. It's just that habit that my brain learned. Like, oh, ice cream makes me feel better. That's it. It numbed the pain when my husband would make what I perceived as rude comments about my body or my business or other things. It silenced the negative thoughts. It numbed that pain or that hurt. That's why we want to start to understand how food is solving a problem, how it's making you feel better, how it's making you feel good. That's what we want to start to dig into. So what problems is food solving for you? What problems is alcohol solving for you? And just get honest with compassion and curiosity and knowing this is figure outable. This is solvable. We can solve now for the real problem. That's what this is going to allow you to do. And it's really interesting too. So Zach and I had a date night last weekend and this was only the second time we have gone out by ourselves without Caleb. <laughs> like the first time was in December of last year, like early December. It's been five months. We've tried. We've had some issues and things with the schedule that ended up not working out last minute. So we've definitely tried to do this more regularly, but <laughs> we ended up having a great conversation. And one of the things we started talking about was stress. And stress is something that I think is so common for us to feel, to want less of, to feel like, oh, this is bad. It's negative. But we also want to see how stress now is solving a problem. Stress is helping you to achieve certain goals. Is it ensuring that you meet deadlines at work? Is it helping you to perform your best each day? Is it helping you to get promoted faster? Is it helping you to be more productive or ensuring you get certain things done? We can complain about stress and be like, oh, I'm so stressed out and this is so bad and this is terrible. But we have to also, again, see how is it solving a problem? How is it serving you? What are the benefits to being stressed? Just like with food, if stress didn't have benefits, you wouldn't continue to do that. I remember pulling an all-nighter in college to write a paper. I did it once, one time in four years, right? I hate leaving things to the last minute. I don't like staying up late. I like my sleep. And so I waited until the very end, but I only did it once. I learned my lesson. I was like, this was not good. This was not productive. This was not the best use of my time and energy because I also spent a lot of time leading up to actually writing the paper, talking about and thinking about how I didn't know what I was going to write. And this was really hard and just dreading it rather than just doing it and focusing on, okay, how can I get this done? And I wasn't about to get a zero and fail that paper. No, I was way too obsessed and concerned with my grades. And again, that served me, right? To be very stressed and concerned about getting straight A's, that served me. So even though there were negative aspects of it, I still had to look at what were the benefits. The same thing is true, whether we're talking about food, alcohol, 
or other things like stress. I'm going to do a whole separate podcast on stress because that is something that, again, we try to solve for with actions. We'll just do these things and then you'll be less stressed. Just go for a walk. Just go be in nature. Just go do this and that. No. The action line comes after the feeling. When you have the think, feel, act cycle, what comes after the feelings? The action. We always keep solving for the action, thinking the action is what's going to change our feelings. No, it goes the other way around. We have to solve for our thoughts if we want to solve for the stress. Just a little side note, but getting back to food and solving a problem, when your brain learns that grabbing a snack or pouring a drink can solve a problem, it's not going to want to give it up. But that's often how we're told that we need to solve this problem. If we want to lose weight, if we want to get healthy, if we want to cut back on our drinking, we have to give it up. We have to just say no. We need more willpower. Humans are hardwired to seek pleasure. So if our brain is wired to seek pleasure and eating creates a reliable way of feeling good, taking it away can send you into that internal tantrum about how it's not fair and you don't like being restricted and this sucks and this is going to be miserable. This is going to be really hard. You don't have to give up wine, carbs, chocolate, or your favorite foods. You simply need another solution to the problem that you're eating or drinking is solving for you. Saying no doesn't have to be daunting, restricting, or done from a place of punishment. That's just typically all we've ever learned is that saying no is punishment. You've been bad. You don't get this food. You've been bad. You don't get to drink. You've been bad. You can't trust yourself. So now you don't get that. That's all we've ever learned. That's okay. I'm going to show you another way. How do we get out of this and break this, this whole cycle, this whole pattern? Number one, we need to let go of the blame, shame, and judgment. We take so much shame, so much judgment and self-criticism to the grave about how this is such a big problem, how we've totally blown it, how we're a total failure or a screw up. We need to let that go. We need to learn how to have self-love and compassion and curiosity in these moments because you'll never be able to assess if you don't have curiosity and compassion. Those two things are requirements. And then we have to look at what's my justification or my permission-giving thought that's allowing me to have another glass of wine, that's allowing me to keep eating or to eat when I'm not hungry. We want to start to poke holes in it. Are you thinking, screw it, it doesn't matter? I didn't lose weight this month anyways. Are you thinking this is going to be really hard? This is going to suck? Who cares? Right? We want to start to understand what is our brain throwing up? Is it, well, you already blew it, or this will be really good? Or don't worry, one more won't hurt. You deserve it. You worked really hard this week. Go for it. This is your reward. Whatever it is. Again, no judging. We just want to get honest with ourselves about what's happening underneath the surface. And then we can start to look at how do you want to feel in the moment when that desire strikes? When you want to have another glass of wine, when you want to eat and you're not hungry and you're walking to the vending machine or into the break room or into the pantry and you're looking for something sweet and you realize you're not hungry, how do you want to feel in that moment? So often we are simply trying to avoid negative emotions. We need to identify what we're feeling. That way we can also identify how we want to feel instead. If you're feeling stressed, maybe you want to feel relaxed. If you're feeling anxious, maybe you want to feel calm or certain or at peace. We need to understand, okay, what am I feeling now? And how do I want to feel in this moment when I have that desire? Because all of your habits stem from a feeling. We just keep trying to fix the action without realizing the feeling that's driving it underneath. And it may not be a feeling in the moment or from that specific day. It might be something that is subtle, like that undercurrent that runs underneath your entire thought process about your life. 
This often happens when we feel shame and regret or we're comparing our lives to somebody else's and we feel like we're not good enough. We don't measure up. We're not smart enough. There's a lot more of our worthiness and value that gets hung up in these areas, especially that we've picked up as kids and it now has just come with us. And now as adults, we're still living that out. But it's those subtle emotions leading you to overdrink, overeat, eat when you're not hungry. And we just want to bring some awareness to this. You might have to take a hard look at your life and start to address and see what do you really think and feel about it? Are you feeling bored in your career? Are you feeling bored in your marriage? Are you feeling bored with your kids? Of course, food is going to give you a solution to that. Oh, you're feeling bored? Grab a snack. You're feeling bored? Grab a drink. For a long time, I thought I was a very positive person. I was fairly happy, very optimistic, and I felt like I wasn't eating over emotions or I felt like my life wasn't super terrible or awful. But when I was really honest with myself, there was a lot of shame and judgment and comparison in an unproductive way to where I wasn't good enough. I wasn't measuring up. I should be further along. People should be saying nicer things. He should be more supportive. We've got to really look at what's the subtle things that's running underneath. This is why willpower doesn't work. That's why it hasn't worked for you. Because it's not about willpower. It's not just about the action. Every morning I woke up with the best of intentions to not overeat or to not emotionally eat. Every day I woke up and I was like, today is going to be different. Today is going to be the day that this gets better. Today I'm going to be perfect. But I would fall into that same habit over and over again because I wasn't addressing the thoughts and the feelings that were driving the habit. Were you open to the possibility that you can create the feelings that you want to feel without needing food or alcohol? Are you open to the possibility that you can take back your power, that food and alcohol doesn't need to have this kind of power over you? That you can get intentional about creating the life that you truly want, that you truly desire, the life that you crave. This isn't just about the body. This is about how do we create the life that we crave as well. And really looking at how do I get intentional about how can I create those feelings? How can I create a sense and a feeling of relief, relaxation, satisfaction, comfort? pleasure, joy? How can I be in control of that? That's what we want to do. These habits are solving a problem for you. And that's okay. We want to understand what the problem is that it's solving. That way we can start to solve for it in a different way. We can become more reliable in ourselves and build that self-trust, which is going to then build the self-confidence around other people, around food, around alcohol, around every area of your life. But this is where it starts. And another great step is going to be to join me for the live workshop next Thursday, April 21st, 1 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be the same workshop, just giving you two different options to join me live. And it's three simple steps to end emotional eating and lose weight eating the foods you love. It's going to walk you through the process of how do we actually lose weight without needing willpower? How do we make new habits stick? How do I confidently handle any emotion without needing food or wine? How do I create this life that lights me up? How do I create the life that I crave and a life that I don't need an escape from at the end of the night? That's what we want to be focused on. That's how you're going to find true freedom and true peace and true comfort. Because just losing weight is not going to make you happy. There's a whole podcast on that. (laughs) Why weight loss won't make you happy. And it doesn't make sense because so many of us have been told, no, once I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be confident. Then I'll feel proud and successful and all these things. It was episode 15. Just losing the weight, though, in and of itself does not change these other areas of your life. It doesn't change the way you talk to yourself. 
How you get there is how you're going to be there. Because a smaller body doesn't fix a broken self-concept. And so often, our emotional eating stems from that broken self-concept. Sometimes it's from what happens in the day. Sometimes it stems from the stress, the anger, the fear, the anxiety of what's going on day to day. But sometimes it's that deeper core feeling of, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'll never make it. I'm such a failure. And it's that self-concept that we have to change. Otherwise, you're going to keep eating over it. You're going to keep drinking over it. That's the real problem. So make sure you visit www.bodyyoucrave.com forward slash April dash workshop. Again, I'll leave the link in the show notes as well. So make sure you go there. And if you are already on my email list, you will get an email with all the details and everything already. It'll be super easy. You'll just click a button and you'll be registered and get updates and alerts and everything. Put it on your calendar. Make sure I see you live. It's going to be awesome. Here's to creating the life and body you crave. If you like this episode, then you'll love my free virtual workshop, Five Keys to End Emotional Eating and Lose Excess Weight for Life. You'll learn the counterintuitive reason why all your attempts to restrict food over the years has actually led to weight gain and the mental switch you need to flick that'll have you dropping pounds without sacrificing wine, carbs, or the food you love. Get all the details at bodyyoucrave.com.